so just in case I can't get through everything, which is quite likely, and I may just have to abandon ship halfway through, um, just to give you a bit of an, an overview, you know, sort of a, a bit of a trailer as to what's coming, um, hopefully so that when we look at the text, <laughs> you'll be able to kind of look at it and go, ah, uh, uh, that's what he's talking about. I, I've, got a, I've got a bit of an idea what he's uh, trying to get at. Essentially, the two things that I think Paul is saying about unity and Christian unity and unity in the church in the verses that we're going to look at is, is first of all, that, that Christian unity is enriched by the diversity of our gifts. Christian unity is enriched by the diversity of our gifts, and Christian unity requires um, the growth of our maturity. Christian unity requires, basically, us uh, to grow up. So what we're talking about here this morning, we're going to be looking at, um, is unity, diversity, and maturity. Okay? All good so far? So Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 7, it says this, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, as, as, as Christ sort of distributed it. And in verse 8, it says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to his people. Now, hit the pause button. This is a quote from the Psalms, all right? Um, and actually... What Paul has got in mind here, what he's, he's really trying to say, if we, if, we, if we understood Paul's culture, if we were sort of there at the time when he'd written this, uh, we would understand what he's getting at here. This would make a lot more sense uh, to us than, uh, than it might do uh, now. Because at the time when Paul was around, the, the, the Roman armies, if the, if the Roman armies went off to, to fight a campaign uh, somewhere. They went off into some battle, and they were victorious. Uh, what they would do is, they, when they'd finished their campaign, they'd return to Rome, and uh, they'd enter the city, and there'd be this sort of triumphal entry back into the city. They, they would have this huge, they'd basically throw this huge party, and technically this party is called a triumph. It's called a triumph, and Basically, what would happen is the army would come marching back into Rome. There'd be this huge procession. Everyone would be out on the streets. And, and at the beginning of the procession, you'd, you'd have all of these chariots. The chariots would all come in, and everyone's on the streets waving as the chariots are coming past. And all the chariots are filled to the brim um, with, with the sort of the, the, the loot, the swag, the, 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 the stuff that they've captured from the some poor defeated nation or wherever it is that they've been. And, and the chariots would be filled to overflowing. They'd be filled to the brim with um, you know, um, jewelry and crowns and um, uh, gold and silver and swords and weaponry and all kinds of stuff that they'd captured you know, from the, the, the uh, conquered army. And so you've got, picture the scene, you're in Rome, and you've got all of these chariots coming, and they're all filled with all this sort of booty. And, um, and then, and then uh, some sort of uh, maybe next along the procession probably would come all of the, um, uh, the, 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 the prisoners, the, you know, the, the, the captured army, uh, and they would be marched through the city, and, and they'd probably be marched off to prison, they'd probably be executed. And then somewhere towards the end of this procession, this procession that's coming through, would be the general, the victorious 
general who's led all these troops into battle. And, 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 and everyone's on the streets, and they're all on the streets, and they're waving. It's very reminiscent of the triumphal entry of Jesus. Think about that. But they're all waving there saying, triumph, triumph, triumph. And basically, it was the job of the general. One of the things that the general did as he's coming in towards the end of this procession, it was his job to distribute, to apportion all of this sort of swag that was in these chariots at the beginning. And, and all of these gifts, all of these things, all the gold, all the treasure, all the plunder, it was his job to distribute it, to give it all away uh, to the people who were lining the streets, to people in office, whoever he saw fit. And that's the image that Paul is trying to recreate um, here. So um, when we read verses 7 and 8 again, you know, we look at that and we go, oh, well, yeah, that, that, maybe that makes a bit more sense. Because what Paul is saying here is he's saying, here's the conquering Christ returning to heaven. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, think of the procession, and gave gifts to all people, gave gifts to men and women. Make sense? Okay, that's verse 7 and 8. Told you it's going to take a long time. Now, next couple of verses, um, what do they mean? Um, I haven't got a clue. I absolutely have no idea. Um, verse 9, uh, what, this can be your homework. Um, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Um, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Not a clue. Um, the only way I can describe this is, um, you know, sometimes you're eating chicken, and one of those little bones sort of gets stuck in your teeth or stuck in your throat. Can we just, um, can we just choose to pull that little bone out of uh, where it's stuck and, and, and leave it, agree to leave it on the side of the plate for now? Um, and the reason for that is because the pundits, you know, people who have uh, far, 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 far bigger brains than me, um, they can't, they don't really know what Paul's going on about here either. You know, they can't work out whether he's saying, you know, um, when Jesus descended, was it when Jesus descended into hell after the crucifixion, or is he talking about when Jesus descended from heaven to earth? They can't work it out. I don't know. And we could have a long conversation about it. We could even um, have an argument about it, if you like. I mean, I don't really mind whichever you choose. Um, but meanwhile, while those of you who want to um, wrestle with it and grapple with it and argue about it, you feel free to kind of carry on while um, the rest of us sort of move on. Is that all right? Is that okay? Nod politely. Yeah, great. Um, so here's Jesus. He's distributing his gifts like, like, a, like a victorious general. Um, have a look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him that is the head, that is Christ Jesus. From him, the whole body, joined 
and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, Christian unity. Christian unity is enriched by the diversity of uh, the gifts, diversity of uh, gifts. And the first thing really is um, that we need to look at is, you know, where do these gifts come from? Who's the gift giver? And Paul makes it very clear that Christ, Jesus, is the gift giver. It is Jesus who is the source of everything. Jesus is the source of these gifts. Jesus is the source and the root of all unity. It is in Christ. It is in Christ alone that all these gifts and more um, are found. And so the picture here is Jesus going back to heaven at his ascension, uh, 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 and Paul's talking about it in, in, in verse 8. And when Jesus is returning to his Father, when he's returning to heaven, Jesus is taking with him all of the gifts that his Father has bestowed upon him. He's taking all of those gifts back with him into heaven. I mean, um, why wouldn't he? They're, they're his gifts. They are the gifts that the Father has bestowed upon the Son in order for the Son to do the very thing, to be equipped to do the very thing that the Father had sent him to do. And so Jesus is returning and ascending to heaven with all of these gifts. And then what happens? Then what happens? Jesus starts giving them all away. He's ascending to heaven. He starts giving them all away. He starts, he starts distributing them. He starts apportioning them. Gives them all away, and you're kind of, well, who's he giving them to? Well, he, he, he's giving them to his church. He gives them to he, he, the body of Christ. He gives them to his bride. He gives them to, to us. You're like, blimey. Well, I had no idea. And why is he doing that? Why is Jesus doing that? Why is he giving away all of his gifts? Well, I think it's because... It's so that all of these diverse gifts, Jesus distributes them to his church so that we can come together as his body, we can unite together, we can stand together as one so that we can be equipped to carry on doing the work that Jesus had been sent to do that we can carry on with the mission, we can carry on with the mandate the great commission that we see in Matthew 28. We, we carry on with his mission on earth to, to, to rescue and uh, restore all the, all the broken relationships that we see in the lives of so many of the people that we meet every single day of the week. Their broken relationships with God in heaven. Their broken relationships with themselves. Their broken relationships with one another. Their broken relationships with the creation in which they find themselves. And... Um, in all of this, in this picture of Jesus returning to heaven and, and giving away and distributing all this, all his gifts, there's very much in here, this is important, there's something in here, there's very much in here uh, of, the, of the picture of triumph in here. This is a picture, a description, a portrayal of triumph as Jesus is handing out all of these gifts. And when Paul is talking about um, salvation, when Paul's talking about salvation, he's not, he's, he's not only talking about or thinking about um, the work that Jesus did on the cross. You know, the work that Jesus did on the cross to, um, to forgive us our sins, 
to atone for our sins, to, um, to, to forgive us our sins, and to restore our broken relationship with our uh, Heavenly Father. And there's also a sense whereby Paul, uh, very specifically, is talking and portraying, describing the way in which Christ has conquered, the way in which Christ is victorious. Christ has beaten sin and death. You know, death has been swallowed up in victory. You know, the war has been won. That's what Paul's trying to convey with this image of a victorious Christ. And as we look at this, we start to go, well, you know, in all of this, we, we find ourselves right slap bang in the middle of what we call the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Christ is victorious. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. You know, the, the lamb wins. We, we know that. We've, we've read. We've read to the end of the book. We know what happens. But at the same time, um, it doesn't mean to say that there aren't going to be sort of bumps on the road along the way. It doesn't mean to say that we're not going to experience any pain or any suffering. Does that sound familiar to any of you? The lamb's victorious. The lamb wins, yes. Christ is victorious. But there's suffering along the way. Just because death has been swallowed up in victory, it, it doesn't mean to say that we're not going to all die. Unless, of course, Christ returns before that happens. But, some good news. Behold, tell you a mystery. We will all be changed. We will not all sleep in a flash, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet will sound. And when the last trumpet sounds, what happens? The dead are raised incorruptible, and we will all be changed. We will all be changed. And so we may well die. Our bodies, our frail bodies, may uh, well die. But even, even, in, um, even in death, at the moment of death, God brings about his incredible and wonderful redemptive purposes as the, as the perishable, you know, our physical bodies are clothed in the imperishable. As the mortal stuff, this flesh and bones, puts on the garment of immortality. And um, knowing all of that, Knowing all of that stuff should bring us, it brings us as believers, this incredible and immeasurable peace. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a crown of glory that far outweighs them all. Our bodies are wasting away. Our frail and feeble bodies are perishing in front of our eyes. And yet we know that death has been swallowed up in victory. We know that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. We will not sleep. We will all be changed. And so we can, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we can cry out and say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can, with Paul's encouragement, this is all in 1 Corinthians 15, with Paul's encouragement ringing in our ears and a proper theological understanding of what's happening to us and what's happening in our lives and in the lives of people around us. Um, whilst we're waiting for our mortal bodies to perish... Brothers and sisters, we can stand firm. We let nothing move us. Not even, not even the threat of death. 
And instead, what do we do? We give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that when we labor in the Lord, we labor not in vain. And so until the very moment, our very last breath, we continue working unto the Lord. We continue uh, working and giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And at the core of what we're about, the, the, the truth is, the core of what we're about, the foundation, our foundation stone is the triumph of Jesus. The very foundation lies the truth about the victory of Jesus. And that victory um, is secured. You know, um, it, it, it has happened and it will happen. Don't ask me how. It's just the now and the not yet. It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Um, it's important. It's important that we understand these things. Um, it's important. Christ is the giver. Second thing Paul talks about. Um, get the kids to take the lunch out of the oven. Um, the second thing that um, Paul talks about is the diversity of the gifts. Have a look at verse 11. I'll see if I can whiz through some of this. Um, Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers. There's something about this list. There's lists of gifts in the New Testament. And there's something, I think, slightly different about this list. And um, do you notice the, the gifts here that um, Paul's talking about, do you notice they're actually people? They're people um, in, in kind of roles. And what Paul is saying, and this is one of these areas where he's underlying the importance of unity and the centrality of unity, he's saying is because one of the gifts that Jesus has distributed and apportioned on returning to heaven at his ascension, one of the gifts that God has given the church, one of the precious, precious things that God has given uh, that we should cherish and treasure is people. It's one another. Part of the triumph, part of the booty, if you like, part of the loot. God gives us people. God gives us one another. And, and, and you kind of go, oh, okay, well, that, that potentially puts a slightly different spin on it. You know, I hadn't really thought about it like that before. You know, I, I, I can't say that I, you know, so what you're saying is that um, my house group leader, you're, you're saying that my house group leader is Jesus' gift to me. I thought they were just like a, you know, a free meal on a Thursday and a, somewhere nice to sit and chat about. Oh, they're Jesus' gift to me. Well, I, I hadn't thought about that. You know, we've got all these lovely um, uh, people up on the stage, some in, you know, uh, inappropriate attire, bearing their legs, um, and others, <laughs> others in, 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 in trousers. Um, but they, they're doing a wonderful job each week, very godly people, despite what they were, um, <laughs> leading us in worship. And, um, uh, what? Oh, dear. Um, leading, leading us in worship, and, uh, you know, um, we've got incredible people wearing bright orange uh, T-shirts, looking, you know, trying to just absolutely confirm that we are a cult. Um, <laughs> you know, would you like your children to be led by somebody wearing an orange T-shirt? It's slightly disturbing. Anyway, they're off um, with the Vineyard Kids. There's people off leading the youth. There's all kinds of people. And these people are Jesus' gift to us. They're Jesus' gift to the church. It's like, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that before. Our worship leaders, they're, our, they're Jesus' gift to us. Our vineyard kids, they're Jesus' gift to us. And it, it puts a different spin on it because we start to look at one another differently. 
And so, um, and that's important because then we recognize how important it is for us to be appreciative of the gift that one another is. The gift from Jesus that one another is to one another. And so we are to thank each other for being that gift. We're to encourage one another for being that gift. We're to pray for one another as they are that gift to us. We're to bless them. We're to honor them. Because it's important. They're all Christ's gift to us all. Um, and then you've got, uh, you could also have another argument about how many of these gifts there actually are. You know, Paul here mentions four or five of them. I, I don't have time to go into them all. Uh, really the point that I want to make is that they're different. They're diverse. And yet together they work together to bring unity. The, the one little sideline that I would like to say on this is um, when, when, um, when Paul talks about, he goes, some to be apostles, some to be pastors, some to be evangelists. Uh, I prefer to contract um, pastors and teachers personally. I prefer that to, I think there's a big argument as to, is it one gift or two? Uh, I am not convinced uh, that you can be a pastor unless you can teach, uh, even vaguely, like a little bit, you know. Uh, so, um, I, which I embody incredibly well. Um, you, I don't think you can pastor the Church of Christ. You can't pastor people unless you can teach from this book, basically. So, I, I hyphenate it. Uh, but that's just me. You might prefer to separate it. Um, just on, on that, in the vineyard particularly, the way that we talk about these, these things is uh, the distinction between what we call um, uh, uppercase apostle, you know, like capital A apostle, and, and lowercase, like small a apostle, capital P prophet and lowercase p prophet, you know, capital P pastor or teacher, whatever, you get the point. Uh, and the reason for that is because um, we tend not to, you know, certainly with the apostles. You know, the apostles, that was the original 12. That was the Lamb's 12. They were the ones who um, uh, witnessed the resurrection. They are responsible for uh, speaking the authoritative word of God. Um, I'm not sure that we really believe, you know, that was then. You know, definitely, definitely, definitely never to be repeated. They were unique, right? Um, I'm not sure that we want to find ourselves in a position where we have capital A apostles knocking around who could add to the council of scripture. I think that would help us find our way very quickly and easily into potential heresy. We want to avoid that at all costs, despite my best appearance. Um, we, we, we don't want to go there, and so we avoid using, I am the apostle, you know. Um, and so we go, well, you, yes, actually, no. Really, you're just, you, you just do apostle type things. So rather than kind of using a noun or def definitive article, we, we sort of fudge around adjectives. It's like, you know, I am the prophet. Well, no, 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 you're not actually. You just do, do prophesying kind of things. You sort of, sometimes you sort of prophesy. That's great, but you're not really the prophet, you know. I am the pastor teacher. No, no, you're not. You know, sometimes you sort of pastor, sometimes you teach, sometimes you pastor well, sometimes you teach badly. <laughs> you know, we'll, we won't hold it against you, right? So we, in the vineyard, we try and keep everything a little bit low-key, as you probably worked out by now. Um, and so we try and talk around uh, adjectives. But, uh, you know, that's... Uh, the, the risk is, the risk is, you know, when you've got a capital E evangelist, the rest of us think, oh, you know, I'm not an evangelist. I, you know, I'm not Billy Graham or J. John. I, I couldn't speak in front of thousands of people and, 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 and encourage them to come to faith. I couldn't do that, you know? And it's like, well, you know, that's only part of the picture. It's just, that's just part of it. 
We're all little e-evangelists. The Lord has given us all that gift. You know, you're just sharing your faith with someone at work, a colleague at work, and you've been doing that for years. You're doing the work of an evangelist. Um, and the risk is, you know, there's a, there's a fatal comma in here somewhere that I haven't got time to go into, but the risk is that we end up with an elite of ministry. And in the vineyard, you know, we don't believe in that. You know, everyone gets to play. We all get to do this, okay? So, um, so uh, uh, you all prophesy, right? You all um, uh, add to the, you know, the, the evangelists who sort of grow the church by adding to our number daily, those who are being saved. We all, you all do that. We all get to play. Your house group leaders, your vineyard kids work teams, you know, the youth teams, they're the pastor teachers of this church. We all prophesy. We all do prophesying type things. Does that, does that make sense? Um, I don't want to get too stuck in that right now. I'm completely and utterly um, lost. The point is the diversity of the gifts and uh, you know, um, each part playing its part, each part doing its thing. Um, why did Jesus give these gifts? Have a look at uh, Paul's answer in verse 12. It's to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, Christ may be built up. Again, the gifts, the stuff that he's talking about here is to unite the body. It's, to, it's so that the body can be um, effective. It's this idea, of, um, this idea of equipping and of preparing. It's a bit like um, if you broke a bone. You know, you say you break you, you know, your leg or something like that. Um, chances are, you know, the orthopedic surgeons would rush in, you know, and, 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 and jump around with, with glee at the prospect of jumping in, digging in, you know, rummaging around and getting metal sort of into your bones to fix things and get metal plates in and pin things together. Yeah? That's the sort of idea that's going on here with equip and prepare. It's, it's, it's about putting right something that's broken so that it functions incredibly well, so that it works properly. And, that, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying all these things have been given to the church so that the church can come together by exercising them and using them so that the church is functioning properly, so that we are working um, together, So we are being prepared and equipped for works of service so that the whole body of Christ uh, may be um, built up. So the immediate purpose of these gifts is to prepare and equip God's, uh, God's uh, people for uh, the work of ministry and with the ultimate purpose being that the whole body of Christ uh, may be uh, built up. And that's what we do. We all, just, we all just get on with it. You know, um, we, we may not... We may not Sometimes, you know, you know, we're not very fond of experts these days, are we? And so, um, uh, so sometimes we, we might like to hide behind experts and go, well, actually, you know, um, I, I wish there were somebody who could go and do some of those things because I don't really fancy it. You know, uh, uh, you're, in, you're in Waitrose and you feel like the Lord has told you to pray for some woman and you're kind of like, oh, God, I really don't feel like doing that. I, I don't feel qualified. I'm sure... You know, some clergyman on his bike will come past at no, in, in any moment, and he'll do the job. 
And, the, and Paul's saying here, no, 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 that's not how I want you to function. That's not how I want the um, church to work. That's not how God has planned it. We don't get off uh, that lightly. We, we can't stick our heads in the sand and say, these gifts, these things, this responsibility and the mandate of the church is somebody else's responsibility. Um, it's, it's all of our responsibility. I was, um, I was at a dinner party the other day. It's, terif- it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, I wish God had come up with another plan. You know, like, he's got somebody else to do it. But I was at a dinner party the other week, and um, it was a perfectly delightful dinner party. I, I knew some of the people. I didn't know some of the people. Uh, some of the people were Christians. A lot of them weren't. And um, we'd got to sort of the end of the evening, and um, I was chatting to this chap sat next to me. And, um, and I felt like the Lord said, oh, you need to pray for him. I was like, what? No, don't want to, no. He's like, yeah, you need to pray for him. I'm like, I don't want to, but I do. So I'm sort of having this secret conversation with the Lord. And it's like, you know, it's a dinner party, it's nice, everyone's civilized, everyone's being polite and friendly, and it's all very nice, and... Um, no, you need to pray for him. It's like, oh, God, okay. And I, and I kind of knew this guy, so I thought, well, he's, he's actually quite friendly, so it will be okay. I mean, he's not going to eat me, right? Um, but it's still nerve-wracking. I'm still terrified. Anyway, um, I sort of said, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we were chatting, and I said, would it be all right if I prayed for you? Um, and again, uh, <laughs> sometimes when you, you ever find that yourself in that situation where you say, oh, you know, can I pray for you? And... Um, and you, you can see it in the person's eyes that they, they think what you mean is that you're going to go away into your prayer closet and pray for them, you know, a separate, a separate thing. And I could see that I think that's what he thought, and I was wishing that that's what I meant. And um, <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I wasn't really thinking straight <laughs> at all, so I, I didn't prepare for this properly. Uh, so what I did is I, um, I started to reach out, he was sitting next to me, I started to reach out to lay hands on him, and I thought, I'd better ask him, actually. My hand was about here. And I said, I'm just going to put my hand on your shoulder, is that all right? And he sort of looked at me and goes, yes. I said, okay. So I started praying. And um, it became apparent very quickly that he wasn't going to shut his eyes. And so he was going to just stare at me. <laughs> and we were sat at the end of this dinner table, and, and, and he was, we were sat quite close, and he was just staring at me. I had my hand on his shoulder, and I started to realize that actually this was a rather strange-looking thing, because there were these two men at the end of the table staring into each other with his hand, my hand on his shoulder. And I was feeling incredibly uncomfortable. I think he must have been feeling excruciatingly uncomfortable. Um, I, I, he, he stared at me in such a way that I couldn't actually hear what God was saying. I was panicking so badly. I was like, I'm supposed to be hearing what the Lord is saying to me for this man, but I can't hear God because he's intimidating me by staring at me. So I just shut my eyes and pretended like I wasn't there. <laughs> and I prayed and I prayed. And, and I think the Lord was very sweet. The Lord was very kind. And the Spirit of God was there. And I think he was encouraged and I think he was strengthened. I think, I think he was ministered to. I was crapping myself. <laughs> I'm like, seriously. I was in, uh, I was in Ishin uh, yesterday morning, and I, I, I walked out of a show, and I was walking down the road, and I, a woman, I just caught my eye just here. She was sort of walking towards me, sort of, and then sort of alongside me, and I could see that she'd done something to her wrist, and I felt like the Lord said, you need to pray for her. I was like, oh, golly. And so it's... It, You have, to, you have to do what the Lord says. And you have to do it when the Lord says it. I didn't. 
And so there was this word, and the Lord said, you need to pray for her. I think he said it, right? And he said, you need to pray for her. And I was like, well, I don't know. And I took a couple of steps, and I started to rationalize it. It was like 10 steps. And because I'd taken those 10 steps, because I hadn't responded immediately, the opportunity had missed it. And I walked into another shop, and I went, I blasted. I have, I've stuffed up. I was, I was supposed to pray for her. What was the worst thing? I mean, this was the worst thing that could have happened. But I didn't do it. I don't know why I'm telling you any of this. I'm going to, I think I'm just going to... I might write to you all and tell you the amazing hours. The hours. The hours I spent preparing this. It's just fantastic. Oh, gosh, that's good. Oh, that's amazing. Um, verses... You go away and look at it. Um, verses... Verses 14. What the Lord is saying is, I want a mature church. I want, I want the church to grow up. I don't want a church full of babies, you know, tossed around. I mean, there's metaphors. Paul's all over the place, isn't he? You know, chucking babies into the surf. I mean, it's not very helpful, is it? Um, he, he's saying, I want a mature church. I want you to grow up. Grow up. Just stop being like, you know, stop being immature. Stop, you know, chopping and changing your minds about what you think and what your theology is. Stop every time you read a book and stop every time you listen to a podcast suddenly throw out the last 25, 30 years of your Christian faith and suddenly follow some newfangled fad. Stop doing that. Don't be unswaying or swerving and waving in your faith. Just be consistent, rooted in, in the scriptures. Um, get to know this book. Spend our time. You know, the storm is coming when the winds are blowing and, you know, the waves are getting higher. It's this book, it's knowing this book that is going to keep us from being tossed and, and, and thrown around in all the ways and blown with every wind or, of, 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 of doctrine or people's deceitful teachings. This is absolutely fundamental and foundational. And if we've got time for, to be honest, we've got time for podcasts, we've got time for books. After we've digested completely this one, first and foremost, we are in turbulent, turbulent times. No question. And if we haven't anchored ourselves to this book, if we haven't rooted ourselves, if we haven't tied ourselves, lashed ourselves to this book, we won't. We won't know what to do when things get harder. We won't understand, I was talking about earlier, when the, when the kingdom doesn't appear to come in the way that we thought it would come, we, would, we won't know what to do unless we're fully immersed in this book. If you hear one thing this morning, please, 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 please immerse yourself in this book. Read it, meditate on it, digest it, bind it around your foreheads and your households and your doorposts. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. But read it, and you'll see what it says about being immature. You'll also see what it says about being mature. What he's saying is, I want you to be mature. I want you to be and, and, and to live um, as, uh, as if you're experiencing the full measure of the fullness of Christ. We're not going, well, what is that? It's not what maturity looks like. And what Paul is saying is, Maturity looks like when you have attained the, the fullness of the full measure of Christ. We're not going, what, you, when I'm like Jesus. It's like, yeah, when you're like Jesus. I'm like, I can't, I'll never get there. I'll never be like Jesus. You're like, well, uh, you know, have you seen, have you seen my life? Uh, there's, no, there's, there's no way. And, 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 and the Bible, again, we need to know the Bible because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says... For he who has begun a good work in you will carry on until completion, until the day of Christ. 
So the Bible says, no matter how you may feel about it, that you will become Christ-like. Because it says so. And he who has promised is faithful. That's also in the Bible. Right? Do we know about the promises? Do we know about these things? Do we know that this is what we're called to? This is our inheritance. This is our legacy. This is our right. Because when we become more like Christ, when we become like him, when we are transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus, when we become a church of Jesus's, do you see? That's when the unity comes. When we're thinking and behaving and speaking and living and reacting and responding the way that Jesus did. When we're all wearing what would Jesus do bracelets. When we're all actually doing what Jesus would do. That's when unity comes. That's when transformation of society comes. That's when things really start to change. That's when things get really, really um, exciting. I don't, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, for another day. I know, I know, I know. Um, it's so it's so difficult because there's so much. There's so much. It's so hard to communicate. Um, and you start preparing. You prepare. Any of you prepare a sermon? You prepare this stuff, and you get into it, and the Spirit of God speaks to you, and you're just like, <gasps> you become so full, and having to. You just think, I can't, I can't. Everyone has to know this. So um, it's hard, it's hard. Um, forgive me. Why don't you stand and we will minister to one another.